0: TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Minnesota Vikings, the NFL, football. Yeah, football. Welcome to Purple Podcast.
1: All right, welcome to uh, the Purple Podcast postgame edition. Matthew Collar in Los Angeles, California. And Zolgad back here in studio after the Vikings lose to the Los Angeles Rams, 38-31. All right, Collar, your thoughts on a defensive performance that I have to be honest, as good as the Rams are offensively, I never saw coming. Uh,
0: no, I don't think I saw 38 points and a perfect night from Jared Goff and one of the best quarterbacking performances that I have ever seen live. Uh, five touchdowns, 465 yards. No, no, no. I didn't see that coming. I mean, I I thought that the Los Angeles Rams would score some points because they have a brilliant offensive mind. They have an improving quarterback. They have a tremendous running back who they use in many different ways and three legitimately good wide receivers. And you saw all of them have big plays on this night with Cooper Cup at a big touchdown, 70 yards. Brandon Cooks over the top with a big touchdown. Robert Woods. Uh, burning Anthony Barr for a touchdown, and, and all those guys can play, and Sean McVay is every bit as genius as advertised, but uh, <laughs> I thought that the Vikings would at very least, based on what they did last year at U.S. Bank Stadium, have some chance of slowing them down. I would have thought something like, I don't know, 24 points, 27 points, where your offense is going to have to step up, But instead, the offense did everything it possibly could, aside from finish the game on the final drive in which Kirk Cousins fumbled. But aside from that, I mean, the offense did everything they possibly could to stay in the game, and it just seemed like every time the Rams got the ball, it was over. They were flying down the field. So it was really a surprising result to see that, and Mike Zimmer had to kind of admit it at this point now, that he is really concerned about the defense, and he even said that he's been concerned all year, which, you know, I mean, I I think that's fair when they got uh, 29 points given up against the Packers, when the Buffalo Bills are putting up points on them, even though the field position was a a factor there. And, And even the 49ers had their chances, but a couple of interceptions, you know, ended those chances. But there were times in the San Francisco game where they ripped off big plays. So we're seeing a lot of things that are uncharacteristic of the Vikings and Judd, I'm not really sure that they're going to be able to completely clean this up
1: in a week. So tell me this, because you're, you're right, Goff was fantastic. I mean, he was. he's gone from being first year, oh my God, he's not good, to improving. And last year he had a very good year, and now he's fantastic. So if we are to take a step back and sort of just calm ourselves. Assess this game for me. How much fault do you put, Collar, on the Viking defense, and how much was it just Jared Goff being that damn good?
0: I mean, there were some throws that were outrageous. The one to the back of the end zone where he drops it in over Trey Waynes. I mean, I thought Trey Waynes had very good coverage on that play, and he put it exactly where it needed to go. I mean, even the the Todd Gurley one, I know that people were really upset with Anthony Barr, and, and that's fair, but it had to be a dime for him to, to get it in there. So, I mean, he looked like freaking Joe Montana tonight with his accuracy that it seemed like every throw he was on. And so I think that, you know, what they have now, I mean, to reference that those 49ers teams is they've got the complete package of a of brilliant offensive mind and a number one overall pick quarterback who's really coming into his own, who's got Great footwork, a great timing, and then today where you saw a little bit different from last year, where there would be times if you threw him off a little that he would have to wing the ball away or something, or you know maybe made a, a throw into coverage that he shouldn't. And tonight you did not see that. I mean, you saw for the most part, if there was even some pressure on him, which was not often, but they found great ways to get him in bootlegs and things like that in space and, and set his feet and make good throws and. Uh, I think it was a combination of all those things. It was a combination of his tremendous execution of the offense. It was a combination of Sean McVay dialing up the perfect plays. And and if you notice, the Cooper Cup play, the big 70-yard touchdown, same exact play, same exact play that Washington used on a Vernon Davis touchdown against the Minnesota Vikings in 2016, Kirk Cousins throwing the ball at that time. Same play, they isolated Barr, The backside wasn't helping uh, to cover on the deep pass there and uh, touchdown. And the same thing happened here. And I believe that Kyle Shanahan also used something very similar with George Kittle on one of those big plays. So, you know, I I think that that's something that concerns you, that some of the same things are throwing off this Vikings defense. And you wonder how they're going to get shored up. But, you know, I I guess I, I would put it in all the categories of equal parts, equal parts execution or lack thereof for the vikings equal parts tremendous tremendous throws by jared goff because if you don't have those throws you're not ending up with the type of production they had
1: help me out here anthony barr we have talked about and i think basically since you arrived in the twin cities talked about the fact that he's not very good in pass coverage and we've always talked about if you put him in a position collar to pass rush he can be pretty productive How is it that we still see him get stuck in coverage so much? Because it's just obvious that that, if there's going to be a weakness for him, that's it, and yet we, during training camp, talked about I think he's going to put a hand down more this year, I think he's going to rush, and yet we seem to be back to where we were a year ago when we were talking about the liability he presents when he is asked to cover receivers.
0: Yeah, that's right. We haven't seen him really rush the passer very often, And, and I noticed that, When he has, he's gotten some pressures on the quarterback that uh, pro football focus had him coming into this game with five pressures, no sacks, but five pressures on the quarterback in only 26 rushes. So he had some success in doing it, but he's just done it so very rarely. And I wonder if uh, a lot of that is just game plan. But, you know, with Everson Griffin out, this would be the time to try something else. I wondered if they would blitz more. They did not blitz more tonight from what I saw. I mean, I'll have to go back and check, but it did not look like... They were sending blitzes from all areas, or doing anything else that uh, it would be different from what Mike Zimmer has done for years. And I, and I think that that's part of it is that teams now know how Zimmer is going to handle these things. And one of the things he's been great at for his career is making adaptations. And so far, I'm not sure that we've really seen that. And you know that opponents are looking at Anthony Barr as a guy that they could take advantage of. He's in a tough spot. He's six foot five trying to cover wide receivers as a linebacker and, and that's the thing tonight i think he's probably on twitter getting completely roasted by fans who want him traded and yes. things like that but i would say that no game plan on earth would ever put him against cooper cup no or would ever put him ever put him alone with robert woods no freaking way so i think that this Loss of Terrence Newman has been massive. I Mm -hmm. think Terrence Newman was a coach on the field. I think he was a phenomenal communicator. I think that he saw things out there that other players didn't see and was able to coach on the field and convey Zimmer's message to the defense. And now the drop-off from someone like that to Mackenzie Alexander and uh, and Holton Hill had to play tonight, and that guy's nowhere near ready to play in the NFL, I mean – that I think that's a big part of it. When you lose Trey Waynes fairly early in the game, and I know that he wasn't great early, but, I mean, you go from him to then Xavier Rhodes gets a cramp. So, I mean, that, that was a major factor in this, too, that you know you see way more miscommunications, way more struggles, and the, the nickel spot that was held down by Captain Munnerlin at one point and Terrence Newman, we saw it again abused today. This is the third straight week that we're talking about it.
1: That position's a mess. Right now, that yeah. position, yep. Matthew Collar, is a mess. And, and uh, for the most part, in the last couple of years, if Mike Zimmer's had a problem in the secondary, he's a good enough coach to fix it. He can't fix this. Hughes, I think Hughes might be fine someday, but he's too young now. And flat out, I think you can make the you can make the assessment tonight and be very confident. Mackenzie Alexander can't play inside in the nickel.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And with Mike Hughes. He ain't never seen anything like this. I mean, whatever college offenses he saw playing outside corner at University of Central Florida ain't even close to Sean McVay's NFL offense with a number one pick quarterback and three of the best wide receivers in the NFL. I mean, and Todd Gurley, not to mention. I mean, uh, Todd Gurley was fantastic tonight, even though he didn't have – big play after big play, I mean, he was a major part of their game plan, and when they needed him to pick off some yards, they did. I mean, they do clever things that you just are marveling at. I mean, they they run these fake jet sweeps where somebody has to cover that backside in case it's a jet sweep, and that gives Todd Gurley a little bit of extra room. They run all the bunch formations that we've talked about on the podcast here where they've got different releases going in different directions, and the defense has to communicate constantly, and you know what? With Terrence Newman out there, with Captain Munner out there, veteran players have proven themselves to be very good. That's a lot easier, I think, than it is for a rookie to have to know all those things at a Ph.D. level in order to stay with a Sean McVay defense and, or offense. And, and, you know, the other part of it, too, is just, just from a physical standpoint, I mean, they got beat even just one-on-one. I, you know, they, they didn't have great games up front, and I did not see Sheldon Richardson in the backfield. I did not see uh daniel hunter in the backfield aside from one sack i thought andrew whitworth handled him and missing everson griffin i don't think you can understate what he means for this defense because remember last year he missed one game against washington and they got smoked by washington's offense a number of times in that game and did not create pressure so even though nobody wants to talk about that after the game and we got a whole lot of we just need to fix it we just need to fix it yeah. if we're being real You lose a top five, top ten player at the position and a heart and soul type guy, that's going to be huge for your defense, and there's no way to replace them.
1: I feel like a t- tonight was also a game, caller where you need your veterans to be calm and steadying influences. So what is Xavier Rhodes doing getting a penalty, which was, by the way, a penalty, he held the guy, and then kicking the flag, and instead of getting a five-yard automatic first down for the Rams, it's a 15-yard penalty. That's the exact type of thing that he can't be doing.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, that know, bothered me. This is something that we've seen on occasion from the Vikings, and not all the time it's not like people would talk about with Rex Ryan teams where they would kind of be out of control and wouldn't be that disciplined but on occasion we will see the stupid penalty and things like that in the very worst moment even from people that we don't necessarily expect it from and you know Xavier Rhodes I remember him last year he's an emotional guy and last year against Drew Brees in the divisional game where you know Andrew Sandejo gets hurt and he felt it was an illegal play, and then Drew Brees threw right at him, right? And and this that penalty forced Mike Zimmer to pull him off the field. And then of course, if you're Jared Goff and Sean McVay, you're going to see that on the other side of the field. What's going on? That you know, Xavier isn't right, and that Holton Hill is in the game, which I mean, I mean, the guy's got plenty of potential, but he can't be playing. <laughs> no, I mean, no, that's just, it was it was never part of the plan. So you know, little things like that, yeah. I, Tell me if I'm wrong here, Judd. When you go back to even training camp, we were saying to each other, this feels a little weird. Mm-hmm. Like this team, you know, we had Mike Zimmer refuting rumors of a trade that didn't exist. We had Zimmer throwing players out of practice. We had an offensive line coach die. Yep. I mean, there there has been a lot of things that have happened along the road even to get here that, you know, maybe it's a little bit of hindsight, but I think we saw it coming that this season was going to provide more stress than last year by a mile. And we have really seen that so far. And if they're they're going to get back in it, I mean, it's it's going to take a hell of an effort because, you know, Anthony Barr was comparing this to last year when they went two and two to start the year and and faced some adversity with Sam Bradford going down. But I don't feel that way. I felt like when they were two and two last year, that at very least the defense had been fantastic and we just didn't know if Case Keenum was going to give them enough points. It doesn't feel that way at all. The one thing that they've really held their hat on for the years that Mike Zimmer has been here has been that defense and to have that crumble I think shakes everybody to the core.
1: I agree and the thing too is keep in mind you start 5-0 in 2016 and collapse. 2017 began with with low expectations, and then Bradford got hurt, and the expectations were, well, let's see now. That's the difference here, and and I'm always curious because Zimmer teams have not thrived when expectations are high. And expectations were were high, but this is also why, Collar, that we talked about, don't do anything dumb during during your moves in free agency and the draft because you know that in a year like this, adversity is going to exist, right? so don't put yourself don't don't add to that don't draft a kicker don't take a project tackle when when it should be a guard because things are going to go wrong and i get that and some of those things are completely out out of your control but what baffles me is when you look back in retrospect and you've added to the pressure and the stress by making questionable moves that were first guessed by people like us yeah
0: yeah no i i mean and we've kind of gone back to that a number of times just that, you know, it always had kind of a weird feeling to it even with the draft of overthinking it a little bit and and not taking who we thought they were going to take, and now you're and really not adding a whole lot of depth. You know, they lose Terrence Newman, they don't really bring in anyone else, apparently they're not going to use George Iloka ever.
1: Yeah, what's up Um, with that?
0: I don't don't know, but, you know, let let me switch it up a little bit on you, Judd, and something I was thinking about here, because we just got done talking with Kirk Cousins That it reminded me very much tonight of 2016 when Sam Bradford had the ball in his hands, needing to drive to tie a game or win a game, and it just never came. Mm -hmm. And we did see Kirk Cousins do that against the Packers, but tonight he came up short with another fumble. After fumbling was a big conversation last week, and I felt he fumbled away the game against Buffalo and gave his team no shot at beating the Bills when he had two fumbles, and he did it again. What was very interesting is that at the end of the game, Uh, when we went to talk with him there was no accountability on himself whatsoever when it came to that fumble it was very much what do you want me to say I mean I reached my arm back and someone took the ball out it was things are out of my control which means he's blaming Riley Reef who by the way I thought was a freaking warrior tonight I mean if you want to know why they like Riley Reef why I'm always impressed with Riley Reef the guy got smoked last week, came back on a bum foot and just battled his butt off and gave a lot of chances for Kirk Cousins to throw the ball. And then when Kirk Cousins does get strip sacked, guess what? He's not taking responsibility really? for and,
1: huh. and,
0: and And yeah, I mean, I thought it was really interesting. He even made a comment that was very surprising to me where he talked about Thielen's 45-yard touchdown and said, I wish we had gone back to that play a few more times and kind of rolled his eyes a little. And I just thought man, you just threw for 400 yards and put up 31 points. And, you know, you, you still got a little jab mixed in there. But it was really interesting to me that he was not willing to say, yeah, you know what, I've got a problem with these fumbles and it's happened my whole career. And if I don't figure it out, I'm going to cost my team games. And I thought that will be under the radar. It won't be talked about a whole lot because the focus will be so much on the defense. But at the end of the day, they had a chance to go tie this game and it didn't happen because of a fumble, and that's just, it. you know, it's happened too many times to him in his career where he's put up big numbers, and you've seen losses and things like that in situations where he fumbles the ball. And that's, you know, we talked about it all offseason, the number of fumbles he had in Washington. So I I did come away with wondering if some of the teams will see those comments and kind of wonder about whether he's going to take responsibility when there are losses like this. Um, I mean, but overall, now just to kind of point out, I mean, the guy had an amazing night, and he gave them every chance to win. He bounced back. It was exactly what you wanted to see from him, and it just wasn't able to finish the job. But he made throws. He took some hits. He was under pressure at some times and, and dealt with it pretty well tonight, maybe when he didn't before, and he was really swinging it. It was just the end of the game, not able to get the job done.
1: As a starter now, uh, Kirk Cousins... 35 fumbles, 14 lost. That is not acceptable. And I don't care what the excuse is, that is still not acceptable.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a lot. And to be at the very top of the league, and also, you know what's really interesting about that, too, is that he's only ever played in offenses that protect the quarterback from that. So when you look on those lists, you know who you'll see is like Jameis Winston and uh, Carson Palmer, guys who had like seven-step drops. Uh, offenses you remember we talked about this with like norb turner and and then the vikings the vikings would just shred offenses like that uh because of their great defensive line and pressure well kirk cousins has always had an offense that has a lot of play action bootleg rollouts things like that and that's where you know you just wonder if it's an issue that can be resolved or if he's ever going to be able to sense that outside pressure and we saw I, tonight, you know, there were there were some really great moments for the offensive line. There were others where Indama and Sue just abused Rashad Hill and was able to sack Kirk Cousins. That you're gonna see throughout the year when they play good players, and that's gonna happen next week when they play Philadelphia. So he's gonna have to find a way to shore that up somehow. And I know the way that I know the way he's not gonna be able to do it is by not admitting that it's his fault. Poor Tom. Like, it happens. It happens to quarterbacks. It does. But you know, some of it is his fault, the fact that he's fumbled three times these last two weeks and they've been costly.
1: Poor Tom Compton, too. He tried hard, but when, oh, when Aaron Donald decides he's going to beat you in the fourth quarter and your name is Tom Compton, Tom Compton had as good a chance of as Judd had of stopping Aaron Donald a couple times there.
0: I got a crazy stat for you. Last year, Aaron Donald had 102 pressures on quarterbacks, okay? Everson Griffin's career high is 78. So think about that, wow. like a guy who creates more than wow. 20 more pressures than Everson Griffin's career high. That's how dominant he is, and I agree with you, man. I, I think that this offensive line performance was actually really good. I mean, considering what could have happened here tonight, and I know he took a few sacks and a strip sack at the end, but in terms of how they handled overall Aaron Donald and Dominick and Sue and giving Cousins a lot of time to throw the ball and let things develop down the field – I mean, I thought they actually did really well. And Pat Elfline had an awesome game. I I don't know uh, what it's going to look like on tape, and and I'm going to have to go through what Pro Football Focus says to really get a full picture. But I thought that he played extremely well with handling the interior pressure and also getting out on a few different plays. They threw a screen pass to Stephon Diggs where Pat Elfline is twenty yards down the field and that's what you're used to seeing. So mm-hmm. if you're trying to take some silver lining out of this, which is very hard to do when you lose a game on national T V like this and you get smoked on defense, it's that Pat Alpine coming back is huge and Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen, when they have this quarterback, they're putting up the type of numbers that we thought that they could. And they were already incredibly good with Case Keenum. But now they're taking that to even a crazier level with the offense that they have now. So we might see a complete shift of how this team has to win games when they've got to play Seattle and Russell Wilson or when they've got to play Tom Brady later in the season or Drew Brees. We might see a shift of instead of you're trying to just get enough out of the quarterback, now all of a sudden your quarterback has to throw for 400 yards every week. That's a lot of pressure, but that might be the way they have can to they, do it.
1: Can they do that, though? I mean this team was built this team signed Cousins to to come in and be the best quarterback possible for an offense that we know was good but nonetheless the calling card of this team or so we thought was the defense. Can they flip the script that much and be successful cuz I just find, I find it very hard to believe that they're going to now say okay let's get in shootouts and and actually win games. I could see losing a bunch of games 38 to 32 or something like that but it seems like a long shot to me that, that you would have the ability in season to have the script go completely haywire and still be a playoff team.
0: Yeah, I mean, the way that I look at it is you're going to have a very, very tough time turning this defense around entirely, especially if Everson Griffin isn't coming back anytime soon. And Griffin put out a statement on Instagram that was very vague about a timeline. He didn't provide one at all, so it's hard to say when he's going to come back. And, you know, Stephen Weatherly's out there trying his best. Sean Bauer, too. Those guys are backup NFL players. I mean, they're not guys that are going to come in and truck NFL left tackles. And you know what? I mean, Daniil Hunter, I don't know if he can beat the best left tackles in the NFL yet. I mean, he's been a beast. He's got four sacks in four games. But as far as consistently creating pressure, he did not do that. And, of course, you know, another guy who doesn't put any blame on his shoulders. I wonder if that will change as we go along here because it was interesting that he said, well, you know, they had a lot of play actions and bootlegs. It's like, you know, they needed somebody to really step up and have a game. And I, I don't ever look at it as sacks. I look at it as pressures. And when when somebody dominates, they can get, as you saw last week, you know, a half dozen pressures or more in a game will really throw off the opposing quarterback. They were completely unable to do that with Goff. Daniel Hunter's a big part of that, and another guy who just didn't have anything to say about it after the game, which is, you know, I mean, I guess it's his prerogative, but I wonder if that how that will eventually play in the locker room if nobody wants to take responsibility for these things and, and say, hey, yeah, we didn't do enough up front, right? So uh, I guess we'll have to see how they handle a little more adversity, too, than they've ever handled uh, under Mike Zimmer, really, since 2015. They've been... Top five defense in the league and that's just been how it is, and, and now they're really gonna have to, to deal with that. But to your question, no, I don't think that they can win in with shootouts. Did Washington win with Kirk Cousins with shootouts? Nope. They I agree with you. And and you're looking at if they've got to play this way, you're looking at going seven, eight, and one again.
1: Yes. Uh I think it's safe to say four four games in offensively, Matthew Collar, this team cannot run. watching this run game try and develop has become painful.
0: Yeah, you know, and I also think that the situations that they put themselves in have not lent themselves to any running game. I mean, what the running game, like rushing attempts will usually tell you, is how often you're leading, right? And when you're down 17 to Buffalo, when you get down here by a touchdown or two to the Rams, you just really can't run the ball a whole heck of a lot. And Delvin Cook was clearly still dinged up because he wasn't on the field very much in the second half of the game and we saw rock thomas and we saw mike boone and and a lot of latavius murray and you know latavius murray is a, is a decent enough player but he's not anywhere near dominant like delvin cook can be but I, I think that what we've seen is that the offensive line can block a little bit better with pat elf in there uh i think especially on the outside running the inside running wasn't going to happen this week it's not going to happen next week either against fletcher cox uh, so we'll see if it develops a- along the way but I mean, you're going to need to get up in games if you want to actually run the ball. And you're going to have, you know, last year they ran the ball a ton when they were up 10 points or something. And then they're just killing clock and having Latavius Murray close the game. But, you know, we also haven't seen any explosive runs. And when they've tried to run, there hasn't been like we saw a handful of times last year, 20 yard runs. And those will have to happen in order to control the clock and not get in shootouts. But you can't do that when you're down that quick.
1: What, what's your sense of, to go back to something that you brought up at the start of this podcast, what's your sense of how flustered the head coach is about this defense, too, now? Because he's got, I mean, this is the first time in a long time where he's got opposing offenses basically doing things at will, and and I could see if it was one bad game caller, but, I mean, now we're, we're in a stretch of the same things are being exploited, it seems like, on a weekly basis. Do you do you think he's got a handle on this to a certain degree, or is he just flummoxed to the point where he is is trying to tell you guys he's confident, but he's clearly not? No, he wasn't even telling us
0: he was confident tonight. I mean, after the game, he said, our defense is a big problem, and I've been worried about it, and I'm worried, really worried about it now. And uh, to hear him be that honest, as he always is, kind of gives you a, a look into the head of the head coach after this game that He had the same shell-shocked look. He was really interesting after the game because he was not rude after the game. He wasn't mad at us after the game, which sometimes happens, and that's okay, but that's just his reaction. And sometimes he wants to argue that everything was better than you thought it was, and he truly thinks that because he's always telling us the truth for the most part. This game, it was reminiscent of what happened after Philadelphia, where he legitimately looked shell-shocked that he couldn't believe what he just said saw that he, he couldn't believe that the eagles just smoked them the way they did and put up 38 and it looked the same here i mean we asked them questions what happened on this play what happened on that play and it was you know short explanations but i'm not i'm not certain that he was really sure how this got to be so bad here tonight and and you have to uh you do have to give credit to the best offense in the nfl i have never seen an offense so complicated so much misdirection, so much bootleg. It looks As like basketball, back, Matthew. Yeah, you know, it's incredible. It looks like I mean, a basketball
1: just, team.
0: It, yeah, yeah. It, and, and you know what? The fact that they could communicate, too. I think last year they struggled to communicate at the line of scrimmage because of U.S. Bank Stadium. Sure. And you know what? You go back, four road games now. We've got a loss to the Eagle, or a loss even to Carolina on the road, Yep. right? A loss to the Eagles on the road, yep. on grass, no less a tie at Lambeau field on grass on the road, and now a loss here. And the defense hasn't played really well in any of those games. And I think a big part of it is that if offensive lines and quarterbacks can communicate and look at this Vikings defense, they can make enough changes on plays where they can protect themselves and find open wide receivers. I think that that's a part of what has happened here is that teams have figured out different ways to communicate. And now it's going to be on Mike Zimmer. Maybe he's got to simplify some things, or maybe he's got to go to a defense that has all sorts of complex blitzes. I mean, maybe he's going to have to sell out a little bit from what he usually does, but there has to be some changes after this. As much as you got to give 100% credit to Sean McBay for being every bit the genius boy that they thought he was when they hired him, he is that, that's for sure. And so, you know, you have to give him that credit, but also at the same time, you know, if he scored 24 points on you, you'd say, okay, pat him on the back. Right. He did that. You put 38 points up, and part of it was you.
1: And they, you know what? The thing was that surprised me in the fourth quarter when they went, they finally switched to the three safety package, which is fine, and, and we actually saw quite a bit of that in week one, and it was Curse. And so y- yeah. you had you had Harrison Smith, Sandejo, and Curse, and so – I think the three safety package is actually not a bad idea, but that goes back to the question of why the hell did you sign poor George I who must be standing on the sideline saying, Mike, if you weren't going to play me, you should have told me I would have signed with Seattle or somewhere else.
0: Yeah. You know, he's getting a uh, Tremaine Brock here. He is. Yes. They didn't need Tremaine Brock last year though. They might need George I here. And you know, I, I get, I'm really going to have to go back and look at this one. I'm going to be fascinated to do it. I mean, the uh, the fact that we'll get the tape a little bit early this week, Judd, that excites me inside. Um, but I'm so know, glad. It's, it's, I'm going to spend Saturday, I think, if the tape is out early enough, really digging into this one and, and how they created uh, some of the, the, the you know miscommunications, yep. and mismatches, and things like that, because it, it's going to be fascinating to look at. Uh, but with Iloka, yeah, I mean, I, I thought that if they put Iloka in as a deep safety that you know they could use Harrison Smith more at the line of scrimmage and Reap some havoc there, but, you know, maybe, I mean, George Iloka got cut by another competing team. I mean, maybe George Iloka isn't as good as he was in the past, or maybe it's he's a really smart guy, so I'm certain that he's catching up. It's just uh, maybe it's it's too much in too short of a period of time and, and we'll see him in the second half of the season. I don't know.
1: Harrison, uh, but, Harrison Smith on Cooper Cup is a better matchup than attempting to put poor Mackenzie Alexander on Cooper Cup.
0: Well, and, and you know, that's a, that's a thing that you have to keep coming back to with this is that their belief in Mackenzie Alexander is going to ultimately cost them a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it cost it cost them last year in the playoffs when he was matched up with Willie Sneed on a big fourth down play. And then luckily they got away from that, uh, away with that one because it's the Minneapolis miracle. It cost them against the Detroit Lions in 2016 when the Lions abused him. It cost them in Washington in 2016 when Kirk Cousins threw against him a number of times. I mean, this this has – this I don't know of one game where he's been good aside from against Brett Hundley in the uh, you know game last year at Lambeau Field, and that's not a whole lot to really speak about. So, uh, they, I mean, we're getting to the point where they, they might not know what to do there. I mean, it's it, – if you can't play Hughes because he's in over his head as a rookie and the other guy that you have there is a total liability, I mean, this is the thing about how much they're going to be able to clean up their defense. I mean, it's just hard to believe they're going to ever go back from here this season to being that number one defense. It's now can you solve it enough to score 30 points and win.
1: Right. Last thing, sir, did you do you sense that players are mad slash defiant now or perplexed? Perplexed.
0: I'll definitely select perplexed.
1: That's not good, Matthew. No, never because good. You know
0: what? Because you know what? I think that what you see from them, and and I heard this before uh, in 2016, and they were justified because the defense was so good that they were like, guys, we're actually a good team, and you shouldn't be in our locker room asking us why we're not good. Yep. It's, it's the kid, It was Blair Walsh's fault. It was some weird bounces. It was. Jake Long shows up and gets injured, and I agree with them. I think that 2016 team was actually fantastic, but they got a lot of bad breaks that year, and I totally understood why they had that attitude this time. I mean, talking to you know Anthony Barr wouldn't even look at anybody when he's answering questions. Mm. Daniel Hunter had no answers whatsoever. You know, I mean, Mike Zimmer doesn't look like he has answers right now. So, I mean, if they're going to clean it up, they're going to have to do it pretty darn fast and the one the one break that they have here Judd is that they're going to Philadelphia but they've got a few extra days to prepare for it Mm -hmm. and they also are going against Carson Wentz trying to get himself back to 100% after that severe knee injury and if you've ever seen any quarterback come back from that it's not the snap of the fingers I mean he went through a lot and I remember I think Donovan McNabb had something similar in his career and it took a long time for him to come back. Once he did, he was really good again, but, you know, as Wentz is still sort of feeling his way back on that knee, that might be the only advantage they have going up against the Eagles. So now, I mean, I think the season comes down to this Eagles game, Judd. don't you? I mean,
1: don't you feel like Oh, it's enormous. It. Well, you this you know what? It. You know what? When they lost the Buffalo game, th- that changed the complexion of these first 5 games cuz we knew that these first 5 for these first 5 were tough. And when they lost that game, that changed everything. So, yes, I'm with you. If you lose in Philadelphia now, you have – and here's the other problem. Your team's not playing like it's supposed to play. So if you go into Philadelphia and give up 38 points, it's a problem with personnel. It's a problem with scheme. It's a problem with record. It is a widespread problem.
0: Yep, and we're going to have to see here what type of leadership exists from Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins because I'll tell you what – didn't see a whole heck of a lot after the game from Kirk Cousins in in this adversity that he has faced here of a really bad game against Buffalo. And again, just don't think I'm hating because he was fantastic tonight for 98% of the game. And then he gets the strip sack, but to not really put that on himself, to not have a message to the team, to not have a -A R-E-L-A-X type of moment. And that's Right. not to suggest that Aaron Rodgers is always perfect at this stuff either. But, you know, to not have that, um, it really kind of took me aback that there wasn't some sort of defiance from Cousins about, you know, we're going we're gonna to fix this and we're going to win. It was more of, there's, he said a couple times, there's a lot of things that are out of my control. Like, come on, man. You know, like, that's not really what you want to hear. That might be how he thinks, though,
1: Matthew. That might be exactly how it he is. thinks.
0: Yep. That's, you are 100% correct. That it, and he's not wrong. And that was my article. But he and I shouldn't be seeing this the same way. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, or, or, right. or he could see it however the hell he wants, but like he has to convey a message, I think, after this game. And, and that wasn't there. So I guess what we'll see over the next week is just how well this team can bounce back. I mean, overall, big picture, they lost by a touchdown to the Rams, which is kind of what we talked about and predicted before the game, that they would lose by a score. And so maybe they can look at it as, okay, it was a semi-bounce back that they didn't come in here and get trucked. Mm-hmm. But it, at the same, And so there is still an opportunity to save this thing, especially since the NFC North is not uh, insanely good like we kind of thought it would be. Um, but, you know, I, I guess we'll have to see exactly how they bounce back, and that will tell us a lot more about them and if they're ever going to be the team that, that we thought. But that's looking less and less probable now.
1: What's the schedule for the Purple Podcast in the coming days that people can expect?
0: Oh, it's going to be wonderful, Judd. We're going to have offensive line, defensive line breakdown of this game and preview of the Eagles. Sage Rosenfeld and I are going to get together. We've also got the football hour every day that will be back in action live in Minneapolis. It's going to be wonderful. And then I pack my bags again, Judd, and I'll be going to Philadelphia where I can get full beers thrown at me anytime I want.
1: You might be, yeah. That might be it too. All right, Collar, travel safely, and I only have one thing to say to you, and that is this. Happy football. (laughs) Thanks,
0: Judd. Happy football to you as well.
1: Talk to you later. All right, that's another edition of the uh, Purple Podcast. As Matthew Collar said, plenty more to come in the coming days. Breakdowns of this game against the Rams. And Matthew, very excited to watch the film. I'm Zolgad in Minneapolis. He's Collar in Los Angeles. Uh, Talk to you all later on the Purple Podcast. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar